Sir, we've had a little problem. These two women are just arriving. They objected to giving up their weapons. Klingons do not surrender their weapons. Who are you? We are Lursa and Baton of the House of Duras. Hello and welcome to the Duras Sisters podcast. We are not Klingons, but we are sisters. And I'm Ashlyn. And I'm Rihanna. OMG! Today we are talking about Star Trek First Contact. Ashlyn, I have been waiting so long to get to this podcast episode because we got to talk about Star Trek First Contact in our time travel series, but now we get to just talk about the movie. We get to talk about every single aspect, and I'm so pumped. I do have to say that I'm glad that we talked about this from a time travel perspective in our time travel series because I felt more informed, actually, going into the movie, uh, remembering all of the, like, small details about how this time travel would have worked, especially in regards to the Enterprise episode with the Borg and how they reference this movie. So I felt very prepared intellectually (laughs) before we watched it. Well, and this movie is constantly referenced. I mean, that's sort of the beauty of it, too, is that it's probably one of the most historical Star Trek events to ever occur. So I think that, like, us getting to talk about it from, yes, a time travel perspective, but also just, like, a Starfleet history perspective is going to be really fun. I'm so excited. And also, I feel like I have seen this one most recently because of our time travel series and then also I just like to watch clips from it a lot yeah and so I was a little bit hesitant going in thinking oh I might start to get bored of this I've seen it so much but that just wasn't the case at all yeah oh same I think also at least for me we were watching it with again our mom and my partner and so I think it was really fun to see at least my girlfriend Brianna like get really excited about it because a lot of these movies she's just been sort of like hanging out you know and that's totally fine I, I like that she's just around while we're watching Star Trek but she was like fully engaged the entire time and she's like rooting for Lily and just like we're all really excited about it and I think too our mom was really excited to see it again because I think she's seen it in theaters and that was it and she had no context of the Star Trek uh, TNG cast or anything so she was losing her mind she was very excited. Yeah, mom's definitely the type of person who just will go see a movie without any context. Like, she loves movies that much that she'll just go to the theaters and be like, okay, it's time to see Scary Movie 5. Never seen (laughs) the other ones. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really need to get Danny in on one of these movies because he is Has he seen any of them yet with us? He's never seen the next gen ones, no. Okay, Oh, well, during our Mm rewatch, he saw part of Generation and he saw part of Undiscovered Country. I think he was like playing a video game in the background. (laughs) (laughs) He was still there though, you know, it counts. In his defense, he was at work while we watched this because it was on my day off and everyone else had the day free. Yeah, we watched it in the morning. Yeah. Yeah. We did not do a drinking game for this because we watched it in the morning. It was the morning. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. 
But Ashlyn, real quick, I also have a fun fact that I think all our listeners would like to hear that whenever Ashlyn and I get on the Clean Feed, which is where we record these podcast episodes, so shout out to Clean Feed for being our server. Yeah, literally, (laughs) like being our free server. Thank you. Yeah, amazing. Um, But Ashlyn always names me a really funny name because I'm the guest coming into the Clean Feed. And so today I just wanted to let you know that I can also be referred to as Scared Cockle. <laughs> and for the, what was it? The, oh, for Undiscovered Country, I was Magnetic Boots. <laughs> that was a personal favorite. I'm really proud of that one. Yeah. Um, well, that joke started because when we had our dad on for Wrath of Khan, I was very confused about how Clean Feed worked because it was my first time running it. Normally Rihanna does. Mm-hmm. And I named dad the Wrath of Khan because I thought it was the recording title. And then I also uh-huh. named Rihanna the Wrath of Khan. <laughs> So it was Ashlyn talking with two Wrath of Cons. <laughs> it was like double dip here. It was amazing. Yeah. Well, and I was also, last week I was Data's emotion chip. So <laughs> another personal favorite. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, you know, we just got to be creative. So yeah. yeah. Anyway. Also on that note of being creative and just like literally choosing Star Trek things for everything. Mm-hmm. I also want to talk about very quickly the fact that we had the absolute pleasure of being on a strange new pod episode last Thursday. Oh my gosh, we that went was live so much with fun. them. That was oh, awesome. It was a blast. If any of you haven't heard of a strange new pod, it's a wonderful podcast that's been covering all of the new Trek that's been coming out. And we watched the new Discovery episode and then discussed it with them. And it was just phenomenal. Such good discussion. Such amazing people. We had such a fun time. They go live every Thursday on Twitch. So you guys should seriously check it out. It's such a fun time. You can like comment in and, you know, just get a chance to see everyone's face and just have a really good time. Yeah, they have a great group of people who rotate on the podcast. And so it's really fun to have a ton of different personalities, so many different opinions too, Mm -hmm. because, you know, Rianne and I, since we're related, we tend to have very similar (laughs) opinions. And so it was nice to have some give and take with them. And I also just admire them for going live every week because that's a different type of preparation that Rianne and I don't do, obviously. Yeah, I don't think I could ever do that, honestly. But it was such a blast. And to just see the amount of hard work that everyone's putting in to make these live shows possible are truly incredible. So go check out A Strange New Pod. And thank you all so much for having us on the podcast. It was such a fun time. Yes. Well, and Rihanna, we are in a very exciting time in our podcast because we also were able to do a little bit of a collaboration with the Jacked Up Reviewed podcast. They got in touch with us a couple of weeks ago and we were not able to record a podcast with them at this point because I have a crazy schedule. My <laughs> life is like super nuts right now, but we were able to send a recording to them talking about Enterprise and Discovery and how they work as prequel shows. So that was really fun. Rihanna and I did a little recording for them. And then we are definitely going to have them on a future episode of our movie series. So before the series is out, we're going to have at least one more guest. We are so excited. Yes. Oh, we're so thrilled. And also, I'm going to leave this dangling till the end, but I'm thinking, Ashlyn, at the end of our episode today, I'm going to announce the new series. A little early this time because I literally cannot keep it in. I'm that excited about it. Brianna, I think we should just think of it as a little Christmas gift. An early Mm. Christmas gift is the the news, the breaking news of our next series. 
Yes, exactly. That's perfect, Ashlyn. Um, Rihanna, I feel like we got a really sweet comment this week from somebody on TikTok. Do you remember what that was? Yes, I do, actually. <laughs> um, <laughs> I don't know if that was smooth. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it. It was a good one. Thank you. So we got this comment on one of our videos where Sam Userin95. Ah, classic. Love Sam. Said, I love your podcast. And then we said, thank you so much. Because (laughs) truly, thank you so much. I can't believe that people on TikTok are listening to our podcast. That is truly mind-blowing to me. And I love people on TikTok. Like, I really admire TikTok as, like, a community that it's built. And it's just so fun. Such a fun way to make Star Trek content, too. Also, just the cosplayers on TikTok. Oh, yeah. Like, inspired me to get more Star Trek cosplay because I want to, I get jealous seeing all their amazing uniforms and, like, makeup and stuff. I'm like, I have to do more of this. So, anyway, thank you so much, Sam Userin95. I Ooh. hope I'm saying your username <laughs> right. <laughs> but thank you for listening to the podcast and loving it. See, we I love having listeners like you. I love the short and sweet message, too, because Sam came all the way over to TikTok to tell us. Yeah. <laughs> You know, that they like the pod. So props. Thank you. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you for making that journey for us. Yeah, I appreciate it. Okay, Rihanna, I'm just full of questions this morning. Yeah. So I'm also curious, what is your memory of the first time that you watched First Contact? You know, every single memory is getting clearer. (laughs) (laughs) The older we get, this is so nice. I'm like, I actually start to remember things more clearly. It is getting clearer. You're right. (laughs) Yeah, it's it's a thrilling time we're in here, where we're not in Georgia anymore. <laughs> Man, that was a slog. <laughs> <laughs> a beautiful slog, but it was still a lot of movies in a row. But Ashlyn, as I recall, we were in the basement at our mom's house watching this movie, and we had seen Generations, been devastated by it. And then we're, we're finished, or at least I was. <laughs> then we, we go in, we're finished with Next Generation, watching these movies, and we see First Contact. And I remember most, just Zephyrin Cochran in general, I remember just like his character being sort of like goofy and weird and being like, huh, not what I expected. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then the second thing is Worf's line, assimilate this oh so cool (laughs) i truly think that like Worf got to shine in this movie and so i remembered a lot of his parts in it and we had not been watching deep space nine at this point because we went immediately from next generation the show to the movies because you know we're trying to go in order as much as we can we can't be in three places at once yeah (laughs) like the viewers at the time could be i mean i guess we could have started deep space nine when we started tng well like when it came out but that would be so crazy so no that's too much bob yeah anyway so yeah i don't honestly remember a ton about the Borg besides the fact that like Picard broke his glass ships and he's like angry that was also a scene that I deeply remember because he's just like no (laughs) and like the (laughs) I don't know what what was he like no (laughs) that was that was beautiful I felt like Patrick Stewart was here in the pot (laughs) thank you and the glass (laughs) it wasn't a sound bite that was fully on me (laughs) anyway so that's what i remember very weird parts of it but that's that's what it looks like what do you at you ashlyn oh geez i mean i'm so happy you went first because (laughs) i 
I mean, yeah, the memories are getting clearer, but also they blend together. And so I, I think we watched a lot of these movies in some basement. And so again, oh, I'm sure. trying to remember which one. But I also really wish that this memory was us watching it on a big screen you know like Aww. i i kind of thought maybe we were in the living room but she that, wants to recreate it I know, <laughs> so but, it's not on a laptop <laughs> but now that you're saying it it totally was in the laptop i think on your bed i think it was on your bed or maybe on the ground I, I we don't were know. on the ground a lot just yeah. like leaning against your bed so probably well i also think that this was the era where we ate a lot of vanilla wafers Oh, absolutely. And so I think we were munching on those throughout this movie. I, that, mm-hmm. For some reason, I have that, that memory. That sounds right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but the things that I remember from the movie are mostly Troy's drunk scene and how like extremely cringy I felt that was at the time. <laughs> uh-huh. Um, and also the scene with the Borg when Picard and Alfred Woodard, who I forgot, what's her character name? Lily. Lily. <laughs> yeah. Um, where Picard and Lily are on the holodeck and mm. uh, the Borg come in and are like shooting down all the patrons, all the hollow patrons mm-hmm. in order to try to yeah. get to Dix slash Picard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I just remember that being like a very kind of disturbing, but like very well done scene. And yeah. I remember that I was confused at the end because I felt like the ending was uh, wrapped up too quickly. <laughs> mm. Ashlyn, I love how different our memories of this were, you know, or just like what we p- picked out of this film. Because I think, to your point, all of those scenes are so intriguing. Even the drunk Troy is very intriguing because we don't get to see her character in that light a lot. And... That is something I love so much about this movie. I'm going to talk about how much I love this movie a lot in this episode, I think. But, like, it's just important to remember that, like, all of those scenes we just discussed are incredible in different ways. Oh, yeah. You know? Well, and I really got the impression, and honestly, I still still agree with my younger self. Mm -hmm. I think that this movie in comparison to all of the other original series movies, this is maybe the second one that's really good because it's a well-made movie and it's very tight script. I mean, yeah. it's it's on Wrath of Khan level, you know? Thank like you. Yeah. The things that they do with the characters and how much fun we have, even though it's a time travel movie, it doesn't fall into the common traps. It's not campy like Voyage it's Home. It's not the Voyage Home, yeah. Yeah, and so I really thought this movie broke the mold and really showed viewers how good Star Trek could be. <laughs> yes. Well, Ashlyn, and you bring up a good point when you said that, like, you agree with your younger self, because I think also this movie is for everyone you know like it's it can be a family movie but it can also be a very serious drama piece and it can also be like a fun hilarious time with Zephram Cochran you know and so I think as I continue to watch this movie growing up I really get to see different perspectives of it and like take more from it each time which like is kind of not as common for a lot of other Trek movies. I feel like I can watch them over and over and still get certain enjoyment from all of them. But this one, I feel like I'm seeing it in a different light every time. It's so good. And I also think it helps because Generations was kind of a lackluster movie. And yeah. so once again, it's following it's following the Trek trend where the first movie is, mm, and then we skip 
a bunch of years and we never talk about the first movie again. First Contact never talks about Kirk dying on the bridge or remember nope. the Nexus? Like nope. no none, of, none yeah. of that is brought up. <laughs> and it's similar in Wrath of Khan. No one talks about the motion picture like, hey, do you remember uh, that bald chick? You know, where did she go? You know? Yeah, that's so true. And I think like we talked about earlier how Wrath of Khan, Search for Spock and Voyage Home all have sort of a trilogy feel. Where, and I feel like these next generation movies, none of them have a trilogy feel. No, no, they don't. And Or any sort of sequel feel even. So these movies are kind of similar to the TOS era because... They didn't necessarily know that they were going to make a next one. It was kind of like, if the audience is there, we will make a next movie. Mm -hmm. With the exception of First Contact. Because after Generations, uh, Paramount and Rick Berman really wanted to make a movie that was going to slap, essentially. Yeah. (laughs) Um, And so... Paramount asked Brandon Braga and Ronald D. Moore to start creating the next film. Mm -hmm. And they both agreed that they wanted to have the Borg in the plot. Initially, they were going to set this plot uh, Uh where the Borg traveled back to the European Renaissance. Yeah, so can you imagine the Borg in the Renaissance? So that has very, very much a TNG episode feel. Right? Like, this yeah. this feels like something out of, like, a Q episode. I mean, was this, isn't Robin Hood, like, the Renaissance? Yeah, I was, like, <laughs> just add Borg to the Robin Hood episode. Yeah. And, like, switch out Lily for Vosh and you're good. <laughs> like, I mean, I, I feel like that's why they didn't go with it, but I just think that mm-hmm. would have been so crazy. Oh, my God, that's crazy. But yeah. I think it's better that they have it set to first contact day because, and everything was different Cochrane, and I believe this is 2064, is... 63. Oh, 63. Okay, perfect. Yeah. yeah. So Paramount asked a couple different directors to direct this movie, and the first two turned them down. And so then, Frakes, Jonathan Frakes, was third in line, <laughs> and he was chosen. Oh my god. <laughs> so I have a really funny anecdote real quick about this whole beginning, because Ashlyn, my girlfriend Brianna, and my mom and I are all watching this movie, and we see that Jonathan Frank's name comes up on the screen for directed by and and I'm like whoa you know cheer and Brianna looks at me she's like is that that guy who hosted that thing we watched because the first introduction Brianna has to the next generation is the after next generation like tiny little 40 minute thing they have on netflix like oh you go to the episode after all good things and it's just like jonathan frank's face and he's like the host it's he's really all cute. cheesy yeah he's it's like, very cute he's very campy is amazing is yeah it? and then he like and flicks the like, lights <laughs> yeah. he's like let's go visit engineering and you're like oh my god what and so i mean it's a cool thing like definitely go watch it if you haven't but like that's the first thing she's really seen of TNG besides when I showed her Data's Day. And so it just cracks me up because she now associates Riker with this like cheesy campy guy. And so she's like, is this movie going to be like <laughs> cheesy because of this guy? So anyway, I just thought that was really funny. I mean, she's not wrong. Riker's not cheesy, but he's, uh, I don't know. He's got a little he's, cheese in him. <laughs> yeah, and he, he can like, he just sort of like, chuckles at things sometimes you're just like okay Riker he's very light he's like good natured you know particularly in this film which I'm very excited to talk about oh my gosh me too um well Um, I'm gonna continue just spewing a little bit of um fun facts and history to set us up this movie came out in 1996 so I was almost a year old because it came out in November 
Um, and it was the highest grossing film on its opening weekend. So wow. that is great. I'm just, I, I love to see Star Trek movies making money. This is like breaking the mold. <laughs> <laughs> burn. Not, not wrong, but still a burn. Still a burn. At the time of the release, this was considered to be the best Star Trek film. And of the critics who reviewed it, but this, of course, was before Rotten Tomatoes, we had 93% people reviewing it as positive. So... That's really good. Yeah, it's very good. So I just want to go back a little bit to Braga and Moore, the two writers who uh, developed this movie. Like I mentioned earlier, they said they wanted to do Borg, but they also wanted to do time travel. And It's a good combo. Yeah, and also I just want to take people's minds back to think about the Borg at this point because we have not seen them since season four of TNG. That's so crazy. So that's a long time. And then we don't see them again until this movie. And of course, now that we have Voyager and Picard, like there's so much Borg content out there. But I think when viewers were seeing this in the 90s, it was an old, like especially scary villain that we hadn't visited in a while. Ashlyn, I like that context a lot because the suspense that gets built in this movie is really well done. Like I was feeling very on edge for a lot of this film. And I think they do a lot of these sort of psych outs or like who's going to be behind that door. I don't know. It just has a very great mystery and like thriller quality about it that makes it just as good. Absolutely. They're so good. The Borg are so scary and I totally agree. The Oh, I can't wait to talk about all of these scenes. I'm having to stop myself. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> got to do the history. Yeah. Got to got to do the background. This is also Jonathan Franks's first movie so he had his directorial debut in multiple episodes of next generation ds9 and voyager but uh first contact was his first film so i incredible think that's great um in preparation to make this movie he watched jaws which i think you can kind of see yeah um he watched close encounters of the third kind yes 2001 a space odyssey Mm -hmm. and he watched a lot of james cameron and ridley scott movies i mean that's like a very good list of of studying i think he He really nailed it he really did yeah so i oh i just love that so Mm. rihanna this movie starts in a very funny way because (laughs) these freaking credits are like zooming they like start at your face and then they like zoom backwards and you're like who's the production designer oh they're leaving like like (laughs) i had a hard time focusing because i thought these credits were so funny i was scribbling so fast trying to write down like because obviously the writers are like rick berman brandon brown and ronald Moore. you know like like, you barely get to see him so like you know but i was mostly annoyed i was like oh rick berman i'm like wait focus they're leaving yeah (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) so ashley i totally feel you it's it was i guess trying to be like intense like no 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 here we go but didn't work (laughs) no didn't work i i did like though when it showed the first contact sign yeah it looked like the words got assimilated Ooh, yeah they were like infected by nanoprobes yeah that was cool that was a good good touch (laughs) (laughs) well and this star trek movie starts the way a lot of star trek movies do with some poor people getting destroyed on a station or some moon or planet you know it always starts this way so ivor prime was destroyed (laughs) <laughs> and I think it was a station. I don't, I don't know. 
Either way, it was assimilated. So, like, immediately we're being introduced to this threat by some off-screen deaths because this is just so classic trick. We have seen probably, like, half of the movies start that way. And I think it's a way to remind the audience that these are some scary mofos and uh, you should be afraid of them. And also for people like Mom who are going in blind, you have to set up this villain right away to make them scary and the Borg are terrifying so that's easy to do literally her mom was saying she's like I have to remember to take deep breaths during this movie (laughs) I'm like yeah honestly oh she's so pure (laughs) right well that honestly like makes sense now you talk about Jaws because I think a lot of the suspense building was very like Jaws or like movies of that era for sure yeah absolutely So after we see this kind of establishing the Borg, we get this dream sequence that Picard has. And this is all memories of him from Best of Both Worlds, part one and two. Yeah. But of course, this is season three finale and season four of TNG. But obviously, these are reshoots, right? Like these aren't clips from the TV show. (laughs) No, they're definitely not. I think like... It would have really been cheesy if they did, like, the black and white effect, you know? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And also, you don't want to show TV sets on the big screen, you know? Or, like, have... We tried that in other track Oh, my God. Yeah, and they they learned their lesson, finally. I did get kind of the sense, like, it reminded me of Search for Spock opening with a recap of what happened in Wrath of Khan. Or, like, Rocky, when it shows you, like, the last (laughs) ten minutes of the previous movie. Um... But what's her name? Mary. <laughs> um, Adrian. I did Adrian. it, Adrian. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she be like, Adrian, Adrian. Adrian. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. Now I'm going to want to watch Rocky. Clearly, Patrick Stewart is older in these yeah. flashbacks, too. You can tell, like, they just yeah. did it the yeah. other day. Yeah, like when they do the whole, like, Borg eye thing and it, like, goes to the screen, you know? I hate that every time. And Rihanna really showed me how terrifying these scenes were, but, like, whenever the needle's going into the eye, as a kid, Rihanna would, like, shiver. Like, oh, she's doing it right now. (laughs) When she thinks about the needle in the eye, like, she can't do it. Like, she's freaking out. (laughs) Yeah. Well, they're they're so good at showing, like, it almost go all the way, you know, like, almost penetrate before they then, like, switch to another scene. And so I think, yeah, they, like, tempt you with with the gore, but not actually show it. So it can still be a family movie. (laughs) It's still PG-13. Yeah, exactly. There's no bloody eyes here. (laughs) Oh, God. Yeah. And so this is, like, where we find Picard is in this, like, it's kind of a horrible way to start this film of, like, him having a night terror, essentially, and then waking up and having to immediately talk to this admiral. And he's like, I hope I didn't catch you at a bad time. And, of course, Picard's all buttoned up and he's like, no, sir. I'm like, I'm fine. He's I'm like, like, I'm a pro. Okay. I suppress. We know where, yeah, <laughs> we know where Picard's at. He's doing his emotional constipation thing. Mm-hmm. And we're sort of starting out here where he's also learning that he's being grounded essentially he is not going to be allowed to chase the borg there's a whole threat going on the borg are coming to earth you know a usual movie plot we have planet shattering stakes and what's the planet earth always (laughs) see this is kind of the opposite though where instead of sending the enterprise because it's the only ship in the quadrant Mm -hmm. they're actually grounding picard so rihanna what do you think about this like if you were starfleet would you also do this like knowing about picard's history with the borg and how he's like high key has undiscovered ptsd from this yeah 
Like, what would you do if you were an admiral? I mean, I think that their decision was a cautious one, and it was smart, but also they are losing their most important piece. You know, they're losing, like, the queen on the chessboard. And so... He is a queen. Like, yeah, Absolutely. literally. Yeah, and so once you lose the queen, you're kind of like, uh, I have these rooks that I could use, but, like, none of them can actually go everywhere on the board. And so, like, Picard can, because he knows the board so intimately. <laughs> the Borg um, and the board. He knows the so board well. Borg. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> No. I mean, the queen of the Borg is also the the biggest piece. Make so. sure to check out the Dura Sisters podcast shop where we have a Borg board. Board. <laughs> Chess board. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, that would be cool. I want to design that now. Thanks, Ashley. Oh, design, oh. like, all the pieces to be just you and me? <laughs> I'm just going to, okay, yeah, I'm going to be lower decks. You know how they just, like product placement and things they like made that little doll guy so you could buy the little doll guy oh my god yes yes <laughs> anyway um so i think that they honestly need picard but they're doing the wise decision they're very like health conscious decision for picard's sake and i think of course they're trying to assure that nothing horrible will go wrong if picard does have like a flashback or whatever and so they're protecting both of them but strategically, like, I think it's better to put Picard in a place where he can, like, do something. Because they obviously don't know Picard if they think he's just going to sit in the sidelines and do nothing. And they don't realize that he will even actually just, like, not follow Starfleet orders. Which yeah, is he goes Michael Burnham more. on Starfleet. Yeah, literally, <laughs> he goes Kirk on Starfleet, like... Or Janeway, literally, <laughs> or 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 Cisco. He just like it becomes a normal captain and breaks the yeah, rules yeah, yeah. for the first time. Yeah, this is this is mostly what I'm thinking. Is it's not even just it, this is just so abnormal for Picard, and so it shows you how determined he is to not let the Borg ruin more things in his life, essentially. Or do you think it shows the depth of his hatred for the Borg and his desire for revenge? Because he's even willing to break his own principles to get back at them. Well, and Ashlyn, we did discuss how we haven't seen the Borg since... Um, Season four. Yeah, Best of Both Worlds. But we have seen them in Iborg, but only Hugh, you know, and so... I think that was... Was that season four or five? That was after the hatred. <laughs> yeah. Five, I think. It was after the hatred. Um, oh, I was right, yeah, but I, I was wrong. It's season yeah. five. Wow. So. Well, you know, I was reading Wikipedia, and so they were they were wrong. <laughs> uh-huh. I mean, I think they're right on the scale of, like, meet the whole Borg. But, like, because Iborg is different. But I think this is also, you're exactly bringing up this debate, Ashlyn, of, like, how deep Picard's hatred goes and I'm remembering how he was going to send back like a sleeper agent essentially like a a poison agent for the Borg uh using a being and so that is so out of character for Picard in what I know of his morality and of his truths and so the fact that like he didn't do that you know it shows where he stood at the time of like I won't do this because it's morally wrong but now he has a chance to go and fight the Borg and be morally correct that's kind of a dangerous combination for picard in this moment and i absolutely agree it is very revenge fueled as well but also i think he's desperate to not lose again i think that's also where it comes from is it's revenge but it's also fear like just i mean who wouldn't be i'd be so terrified like we're talking about all the scenes where lily's coming around quarters it's like screaming when she sees a bork i'm like yeah 
that would 100% be me. I would just, like, be a mess because they're so scary. Anyway. Oh, absolutely. And I also just want to bring up that in this scene, the Admiral, when he first tells Picard, you know, like, I hope I didn't catch it a bad time, blah, blah, Mm -hmm. blah. Picard knows it's the Borg because he had that dream. And also because there's something inside of him that is still connected to the Borg somehow. I think, like, that alone would be very disarming because we're assuming he hasn't had these types of senses or like these weird dreams since his encounters with the Borg. And so I feel like that would make him a lot more terrified, you know, of what's ahead and would fuel that revenge and would fuel his desire to get back at the Borg and to save people from the Borg because it's so personal. And he's just been freshly reminded about how personal this is for him. Yeah. Ashlyn, that's so beautifully said. And so... (laughs) I'm a Picard angel. You are, literally. (laughs) Like, the amount of just, like, deep introspection you could do about Picard is amazing. I love him. This movie, I loved watching it this time because I was, like, so focused on Picard. And I just forget how obsessed with him I am until I'm, like, right up with him. And I'm like, oh, God, I'm, like, sweating right now. (laughs) (laughs) Well, like... I think for a moment we should talk about, like, who do you think this movie really belongs to, like, character-wise? I know that Star Trek is supposed to be a film about multiple people and, like, not just focusing on the captain, but obviously we have, especially in these movies, I feel like my more centric character focus. And so I feel like, for me at least, my eyesight was always on Picard and Worf. Like, for some reason those two just had such strong moments in the film where I really felt like they got to shine a lot and then of course our side characters like Cochran and Lily were just phenomenal yeah it's interesting because I'm finally I'm just gonna bring this up right now because we have talked a lot about sometimes in these Star Trek movies they can jump from scene to scene and it could be like a really tragic scene jumping to a really funny scene and how yeah that's really off-putting sometimes Mm. and I sometimes felt that way in this movie but also I don't I didn't mind it I don't know because yeah this movie's weird so you ask like who is the main character or who's the focus whose story is this and mm-hmm. I definitely feel that it's Picard's because he has this this is his arc throughout the movie is he's overcoming this struggle with the Borg and I also just want to point out it makes me especially invested in this movie because Picard is kind of a flat arc character throughout mm-hmm. the TV show where right. the only thing he's really overcoming is being more emotional and like being more open. Yeah. Is most, Talk to kids more. Is mostly his <laughs> thing. Yeah. yeah. And versus someone like Data who has this like lifelong arc that he's pursuing yeah. and that's why he's so interesting to watch. And so I think to really focus on this issue that Picard is having and greatly exaggerate it for the length of a film is like so awesome and Mm -hmm. focus on it. So that's why I think Picard is absolutely the main focus. But then from there, I struggle because I feel like Data and his war with the Borg Queen is really Mm -hmm. interesting, but there's not a lot of time for it. Yeah. And then I also think that this is Efren Cochran's movie because Mm -hmm. he is going through his own struggles and he's just having a hard time. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just thinking about the take a leak scene. I, so. Yeah, that's literally, that's why I paused because I was like, oh, I'm just thinking about him peeing in the woods. <laughs> and then like Riker mildly studying him. Like what a, what a mess. And oh, he falls in the mud. God. I just like, <laughs> And they're 
Jordy's like scanning for him. They're like, where's his bio signature? Like, oh God, it's so rough. Poor Miss oh, Cochran. Cochran's going through it. Leave Cochran alone, as we said before. Yeah, seriously. But yeah, again, beautiful thing you said about Picard. <laughs> I love this. I'll be um, publishing but, my dissertation next month. <laughs> yeah. So here's why I'm going to back the the fact that this is also a Worf movie. Okay, tell is me. Is because we see the Defiant when Picard is deciding, of course, like, we can talk a little bit about Picard deciding to, like, mutiny, essentially. Mutiny! <laughs> mutiny! Thank <laughs> you, Sorry, the, mutiny. the mutiny. I know it just <laughs> yeah. me. Well, I just think it's funny because Rihanna and I have so many inside jokes that are, like, more than 10 years old. And yeah. sometimes they sneak their way onto the pod. So if you hear, like, random bursts like mutiny like mutiny. like that's just an old yeah. joke i think it's a star trek joke because i think it is star trek because kirk. kirk says it all the time yeah. when he's like taken over by his body he's like mutiny. Mutiny. yeah you're all mutiny <laughs> anyway oh that episode is crazy anyway uh, yeah so we have the defiant showing up here anyway groundbreaking moment picard's like we are going against starfleet and i'm like okay i expected nothing less and everyone's on board with it very much has a kirk feeling in these other movies we've seen Kirk do this like three times like Kirk (laughs) (laughs) just in time for the holidays Ashlyn thank you yes (laughs) I love that we immediately get to see the defiant because like my brain tricked itself and I was like that's defiant and then I was like no it's not calm yourself because I automatically try to chill when I see (laughs) ships from other movies because I don't want to get my hopes up that they're like that's actually Voyager or like because it usually isn't there's so many ships that look like Voyager and, like, yeah. do you remember how many times on Deep Space Nine it would look like Enterprise was oh, docked? God. And then one time it was. And so for the rest of the time I was hopeful, but then it never was again. And so, anyway. Well, yeah, I, in the first episode it was because Picard was there hanging out yeah, with Yeah, we Cisco. were, like, screaming. Yeah. And then there's another one. I feel like there's one more. But anyway, Worf's on the Defiant. And it's really the Defiant. And so this is epic because we get to see Worf in the captain's chair in the beginning. And then he gets to join the Enterprise on their mission. And I think that, like... Unfortunately, the scenes with Worf are short. Like, he doesn't get a lot of screen time. But the time he gets are so essential to the plot. Like, he helps out with the EVA, the spacewalk they do, in order to get the things online to shoot the Borg away. (laughs) You know me, I don't know tech stuff. (laughs) All that technobabble goes straight over my head. And then we have a really poignant scene at the end where Worf and Picard get into this really heated discussion and, like, argument about destroying the Enterprise versus keeping it and, you know, trying to stay alive and let the Borg take it, essentially. So, whew, it's just so well done, and I feel like Worf's scenes are so essential to this movie. Like, nothing would have gotten done if Worf wasn't there. And all the scenes, that he's just, like, right back into his security chief mode. Like, it's like no time has passed, even though he's been on Deep Space Nine. He hasn't really been security officer anymore. He's playing a very different role on the Defiant. It's still just amazing to see him slip back in that mode where you're like, I feel comfortable because Worf's here. Like, I feel secure and safe. Yeah, I was actually thinking about him a lot throughout this movie as well. And thank you for your... Um, <laughs> That's my thesis. <laughs> yeah, that, thank you for your thesis. I was thinking, thank you for defending your client. We will oh. now hear the rebuttal. No. <laughs> thank you. Yeah. I, I, I really was like, Colonel Worf would be proud of me. Oh, you said it. <laughs> yeah, he would. Um, yeah. So I was thinking about him just 
like from his perspective. So this, I'm going to answer the question everyone mm-hmm. was asking. This is season four of Peace Base Nine that they are rescuing War from. <laughs> rescuing him. <laughs> because the Defiant is like low-key blown up, which I'm like, hmm, it's fine. Oh, don't listen. They built one really fast. Like, I, I don't know. And I mean, here's the problem. So it's 1996. And so technically it is season four of ds9 and that's why i say that but there is no episode in ds9 where they're like bye Worf, see you later and then he's (laughs) gone you know and then he comes back and he's like i saw the borg and it changed me you know like nothing (laughs) that's so true that doesn't happen maybe they took like a time clause you know where they like couldn't talk about it because it was back in time oh probably that would be my guess for the writers if they were to ever write in something it'd be like we cannot discuss it. Yeah. <laughs> but I think you're right. A lot of the stuff we see where Worf's moving around a lot in these movies like, are clearly just off-screen Deep Space Nine time that we don't see yeah. him on the station. But I was just thinking about he is new to DS9. He's like finally getting in sync with all these characters and getting to know everybody, getting used to his post and position. And then he gets scooped by like his home team, you know, yeah. by all his besties. <laughs> And he just how... got traded to another team. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but he must feel so at home, but also different. You know, it's yeah. it's like when you come back to home after college, and I you're was just like, gonna say that. "Man, I'm right back in the motions." But also, like, I can do whatever I want, and that's yeah. that's weird. That's interesting. I mean, not the yeah. work can do whatever he wants, but you know what I mean. He like, tries. He's he's coming with a different perspective than when he was last with the crew. Absolutely. And so I was just like thinking about him and sending him a lot of love like oh like he's so flawless at doing his job something that really came to my mind after hearing you talk about Worf is that without him in the cast we don't really have like a fighter type character yeah. you know like Riker but Riker's down on the planet the whole time helping get the phoenix working mm-hmm. and Picard is not, you know, Picard is not gonna, he does some fighting in this movie, but it's not who he is. Yeah. So many of these characters can defend themselves, like they have self-defense training and things like that because they're Starfleet, but no one really gets in fights the way that Worf does. And I know, like, I mean, he was security officer, like, he's a badass. I love Worf so much, and he has so many fun fight scenes in TNG. And so I think not having him here when you have an enemy that you really do have to battle would leave a hole, you know? And yeah. so they had to have him. He's the heavy, you know? He, That's exactly <laughs> he's who it. you send to the fight. That's exactly it. And like when we were on Strange New Pod, we had to choose characters that we would want in like a shuttle accident. And I was like, always Worf. Mm-hmm. Like he's, you know, he's scrappy enough to like do things on the fly and he gets stuff done, you know, like no matter what position he's in, he will step up and do everything he can. I mean, I love that his opening line here, we see him on the Defiant, they're like rocking back and forth and he's like, maybe today is a good day to die. Aww. And I'm just like, this is an epic opening Pride. because we've heard this before, right? Or is this the first time we're hearing this line? No, we've heard this before. Yeah. Okay, like, exactly. Next gen. They're always next like, gen. It's yeah. today's the day. Good day to die. Maybe yeah. today is a good day to die but we, we don't I don't think we see Worf say it a lot yeah exactly so like we know it's an epic battle we can see it happening here and also can I just have a quick fun fact that Ben Wyatt his name is Adam Scott which is so crazy and he's Parks Ben and Wyatt Rec. Parks and Rec yeah. is 
on the helm of the Enterprise. And so I love it because in Parks and Rec, Adam Scott's character does talk a lot about Star Trek. And so I just love that like he was actually a tiny extra in this moment. That blows my mind. And it makes me think that the character of Ben Wyatt, you know, in TV alternate universe, in another life, he was on The Defiant. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> like, he, his, yeah, his line, he gets to say, that's the Enterprise. And oh. so this is epic because then here it's coming in. Worf is just like, thank Kayless. You know, yeah. he's just so happy. He's like, I today is a good day to die, but I don't want to go to Stovacor right now. You know? Yeah. yeah. He's <laughs> like, especially if I have Picard and everyone else I need to defend, like, I'll go do it. And so he does. He goes back in time with them. Oh, and we can't forget, in this scene, we hear the Dura sisters intro. Woo! Boop, 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 boop. On... <laughs> But obviously, that's not what it's called. I know we're mm-hmm. really famous, but um, <laughs> this, of course, is the Klingon motif. <laughs> yeah, motif. Rihanna's always like, stop talking like a music nerd. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to make sure the audience understands because sometimes I don't. <laughs> it's, just a th- it's just a theme. Like when you, yeah. when you see Klingons in these movies, it plays the theme. Then they're just back in time because they hit a temporal wake apparently with the Borg sphere because they are able to destroy the cube which is epic because Picard knows the system he knows exactly where to hit the cube to like destruct it which is crazy it has sort of like a death star button you can just like hit and then it blows up but a tiny little sphere came out of the cube and that's what also rode the temporal wake into the past and so the Borg go first I guess and they end up assimilating the entirety of earth and they must have blown up the phoenix or killed Cochrane. And so then that's why Picard's like, well, guess we're going back in time. This can't be my life now. And so they do. Well, and I think that this is a, I mean, it's a very fast way to get them back in time. But mm-hmm. it's also not a terrible way because we can't have the argument like we do with Kirk whenever he goes back like oh they could have done other things like going back in time seems like such a drastic solution to fix Mm -hmm. like the whale probe problem you know yeah but for this it is the only option because earth is in front of them already assimilated and it's not like they can just go and unassimilate everybody like it's been like this for thousands of years yeah so I do love that it forces them into that corner and Mm -hmm. it forces Picard to have to make that decision so as a script that is great yeah Ashlyn thank you for saying that I agree with the writing like it's that's just airtight I think there's no one who would just be like all right guess I'll die you know like especially in Starfleet so they're just like let's go they go back in time and we're back in time in the year 2063 April 4th they arrive a day before first contact day and You know, it's just awful to hear again about this past because it's like 600 million dead. That's terrible. That's so many. Yeah. So horrible era to go back to. All major cities are destroyed, quote. So anyway. So this is a result of the eugenics wars, right? World War III. Yeah. Yeah. That's rough, yeah, buddy. So That's they're in the like, wake of it. Yeah. yeah. Well, so I, I said this while we were watching the movie, but it's kind of good to know that Earth is in a much worse position 
Okay, so um, I'm sorry, fam, if you hear some beeping, some obsessive beeping, because they're getting the leaves from my house, which is great. They're finally getting the freaking leaves. You can hear the trucks. Anyway, so I'm just going to try to continue, and we can push through. I know you all can survive with us. But anyway, so... Um, I said this to Rihanna and mom and Brianna while we were watching this movie. It's kind of comforting to see that Earth is in a much worse position in the future than we are now, because right now feels like the worst time. Um, mm -hmm. I mean, obviously, like with our technological advances, like it's not, but also like, every, you know, pandemic and everything else going on and institutional racism and uh, it feels terrible. And so it's amazing to see like when Riker is talking to Cochran and he's explaining that once they have first contact and they realize that they're not alone in the universe everything starts to change and like there's no poverty or hunger or <laughs> sadness like <Yeah. laughs> like everything begins to disappear because they're like oh earth we have to be unified and work together because there is a cause greater than ourselves that we have finally to fight for and so I love that that's the turning point and I don't know. I also don't know if we could actually achieve that, you know? Like, yeah. I, I wonder if this happened in real life, if that would really go down that way, or, like, would we have a huge faction of people that think, oh, it's all a hoax, and the Vulcans aren't real, and maybe would act out of violence, or... Or just, like, we don't want you here kind of mentality. Yeah. That is dangerous. Yeah, I, I've wondered this, too, when I hear them talk about that, because it just doesn't feel realistic to me. But also, that's what I always have enjoyed about Star Trek, is the fact that, like, most of the time they can convince me that humans can get there. And this, I don't know if it sells me, but we also then get to see Enterprise and see the struggle that actually goes through, you know, Terra Prime and all of that and so it is important that they go that route and talk about that but like it does feel a little utopia for me in this movie i think before the pandemic i had a lot more hope <laughs> yeah me too and everything with our um like political situation mm -hmm. uh gives me less hope but who knows this is why i watch star trek is for this kind of emotion yeah absolutely so we get to Earth, and I feel like Picard has this sort of Borg sixth sense at this point. You know, he's like, they're here, there's a cube, or there's a sphere, or whatever, you know. Like, it's incredible how quickly he catches on. Because Worf's like, it's nothing, there's just a, a temperature drop in one of the decks. And Picard's like, seal it off, you know, and he's like, I'm coming up there. And so he leaves Troy and Riker behind quite a few people behind when they're making first contact with Cochrane. <laughs> this is essentially their mission is to do Troy's whole like incognito sneak in try to talk to Cochrane, aka shots of tequila <laughs> and then Riker is just chilling I don't really know what he's doing at this point if he's not talking to Cochrane. why doesn't Troy know what tequila is uh, because Sid the Hall? But I feel like uh, Beta Zed, they gotta have something. It is hilarious. So I, I think really quick, that's what I want to talk about a bit. Ashlyn, you brought up the amazing point of like how a lot of these movies seem to have a little bit of whiplash when it comes to actual tone of the movie. Lily's gonna eat, yeah. so she might crunch. I feel like that's next gen a little bit. If you think about the series itself, there's a lot of episodes where Picard's dealing with this, like, like the one where he has the girlfriend and they're dealing with 
the struggles of like him being captain and sending her on dangerous missions. Oh, lessons. I love yeah, that one. Yeah, lessons. And then you have the contrast. I don't remember the B-plot very much, but I feel like the contrast is always like, Spot needs a bath. <laughs> Not really. <laughs> I wish that were a plot. But like, you know, I mean, someone's going out of town for a conference and then they crash land on a planet and it's very serious. And then the other part is they're having a birthday party during a temporal anomaly, you know, or something. So yeah. I feel like that happens, that type of emotional tonal whiplash happens a lot in the show but you're right here it feels to me at least it feels fairly natural from the point that like I'm just used to it for TNG and it it doesn't bother me as much because it gives me the reprieve I need and so when we have these scenes with Troy where she's just like drunk and hanging out and Riker is just like cracking up he's having a blast when I watched this when I was young I always thought Riker was like really mad in this scene but then I actually look at him and I'm like, wait, no, like, he's just like, okay, Deanna, like, you're not really getting to him, but, like, you tried, you're doing great. And then also just seeing Cochrane is, like, blowing his mind. Oh, I think he's having a great time. And I think also, I, <laughs> we talk so much about how Kirk in the later movies is really Shatner. Mm-hmm. I feel like Frakes' acting is wonderful, but mm-hmm. I do feel like in some scenes, you just see him, like, nerdily, genuinely enjoying himself. <laughs> yeah. And this is one of those scenes where he's just like, as Riker, thinking, it, this is the coolest moment of my life. Because yeah. Troy is like, faced, like as mm-hmm. they say in Britain, in, yeah. in, in England, she's pissed. Like, yeah. she's effed. And yeah. she's hanging out with the creator of Warp Drive. Right. <laughs> who's, also, yes. who's also gone. And they have this moment together where they're just sort of drunkenly like, talking to each other and Riker's just watching the back and forth and just having so much fun and I mean I think this is sort of what I found with a lot of the cast is that it seems like they all were so deeply into this movie like they really were all like giving everything they had and I feel like everyone's acting was on point like we didn't have any really a lot of weird spiner moments where it was like a motion ship awkwardness in this movie which was so nice you know immediately they're like data turn off your motion chip and then they just like okay plot off for now we're turning that plot off for later i love that there's borg on the enterprise they already infested um i don't know how they must have sent over a drone and it like crawled in somewhere (laughs) this is where we get our voyager promo here we go again with these amazing little snippets of character we saw dr zimmerman uh slash robert picardo the actor who plays uh the doctor we saw him in deep space nine but this is also just another fun way to be like i don't know if they were even preparing for voyager yet and i think we've talked about this before but yeah i think they were preparing for voyager Mm -hmm. so again just so fun to see him as the emh even if it's just for a moment and know that like okay we're already in this timeline where the the emh has already been installed we've already sort of had that plot you know and everything's like moved along since then um but i'm sorry but like crusher and her medical team are taking lily out of there and they're going into like the jeffrey's tube or into the vents or whatever and they're crawling around looking for a place to get out where the borg won't find them 
and they just lose Lily along the way. Like, <laughs> you have a patient who does not know where they are, does not know that you're from the future, does not know how dangerous Borg are. And, like, I feel like in this situation, I mean, I don't know what I would have done either because it's not like you can carry Lily on a stretcher and mm-hmm. you can't use the transporters because the Borg are on the ship. <laughs> you know, there's no, like, yeah. emergency beam-out thing. Um, maybe... And you can't, like, handcuff her, you know, and be like, come yeah. with me. So I do agree that Crusher probably should have been thinking, like, prioritizing Lily in this situation because she is, like, the civilian mm-hmm. from another time. But also, they had to get out of there really fast. So, yeah. So I don't know. Oh, absolutely. And we get a wonderful uh, cameo from the doctor who's, like, her assistant. What's her name? Alyssa. Alyssa. Yeah, so that was really cute to see her again. I was like, oh, I'm glad that they were able to bring some TNG actors back. Um, obviously they were, but like some side actors. Yeah, me too. Um, so then Data gets scooped <laughs> and he gets uh, dragged under the door. And I gotta say, this Borg queen entrance is so epic. Like, ooh, doesn't she just dip with dra- danger? Like, it's just so good. <laughs> Dripping with Danger, that's my favorite Magic Treehouse book. <laughs> Good one. <laughs> um, it's just epic. And again, like, something that does build the horror of it. Which you can, like, literally see her spine and it looks like a little snake. It's like, whoa, that's terrifying. Yeah, I think the special effects do hold up for the most part. But I feel like for a movie that came out in 1996, this is pretty good. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, it, it looks great. It feels great the suspension everything um and i also just love the interactions between data and the queen obviously they're terrifying and like very sadistic so everything about the board queen is amazing alice cridge or krieg or however you pronounce her last name was phenomenal in this like oh my god i think that she always scares me you know just as a character because she uses the term I. She's not a mindless drone. She is pulling all of the strings and she knows everything, you know? And I think, honestly, I have a question though, because do you think it would be scarier going into this not knowing anything about the queen? Or you've already seen Voyager. You come back and you're now watching the movies like our mom did. How would you feel about the Borg queen? Would it spark more fear or less? Um, I don't... I don't know. I think this introduction to her is amazing. And having this be your first contact with the Borg Queen, Mm -hmm. uh, I think is an excellent one. Okay, well, I guess I have a a follow-up question. This is the same queen or not? Not the same. Oh, Well, it's not the same actress, but is it? Because we see at the end of this movie, she gets, like, melted like the Terminator. Yeah, Um, (laughs) totally. But I kind of think it... Uh, I kind of think it's like that Doctor Who episode in season one where there's like one body, like a a human body is used and being controlled by this monster, but it doesn't matter who the body is. They just need a body. And so Mm. I'm wondering if it's the same for the Borg Queen. Like they could just take another random person and have her be the queen or them or whoever. Um, And then all the memories are like 
in one collective. Transferred. Yeah. It's just like, oh, now she's the leader. Transfer I controls. I really, really like that theory because we don't get a lot on the Borg Queen as, like, story-wise. Only in Voyager do we know that she was also assimilated as a young child. And so maybe they're, like, grown. Like, they choose someone as a young child, grows them up to be the Borg Queen. You know, and they're, like, sort of, quote-unquote, building up the Borg if their queen is gone. I don't know. That's a really good theory. I like that. I'm just trying to think because I guess in the timeline, she dies in the past. Mm-hmm. The Borg Queen does. But the thing is, Janeway also changes the timeline. Oh, Lord. And yeah. So I, don't, I don't know what's real. Me neither. <laughs> but it's a good question to ponder, you know, and maybe someday it'll be answered. That's what's so great about Trek is there's always a maybe someday, I feel like. Yeah. <laughs> so we get this really interesting scene with the Queen and Data and they're just the, even their verbal sparring is really good here. I just love the writing for this. And we're really hearing the Borg Queen talk about this like colonial colonist mindset, you know, and that's it, it's just freaky to hear her talk about all the time. And it just like makes me cringe because it's like Data's, you know, obviously like this is not good what you're doing. This is not creating community. This is conquering. And I don't have it like exact quotes from the Borg Queen, but she just has this way of speaking that is very casual about it all too, that makes it even more terrifying that she's just like, oh, like we add their likeness to our own and then they become part of our family. And it's like, yeah, but they don't get a choice, you know? Like it's just such an interesting discussion they have. And really, I feel like these movies are just the manipulate data show, like truly, constantly, this is what characters are trying to do for data. Even in a lot of the series, it was Dr. Soon, it was that guy who wanted to collect data. Like there's all these people out there who know how valuable he is and who try to use him to get him on their side. And this is what the queen has been trying to do. But data is a lot stronger and smarter than that. And he has, like, equal intelligence to the Borg Queen, I feel like, with their both of their accumulated knowledges. I totally agree with you. And I think from a, like, acting perspective, this is a much better side hustle or, like, side plot for Data than the emotion chip. Yeah. Like, what they did in Generations. I think that Frakes and just the writers, I don't know, this is, this is obviously a better writing team, but I think Frakes, too, like, is utilizing all of his different characters really well mm-hmm. and is putting data in a situation where he can most thrive and i love this side plot so like i mentioned we don't see data a lot in this movie because he's like captured the whole time but mm. the scenes that we do get with him in the board queen are like literally hair raising yeah. um because <laughs> she, <Good one. laughs> thank you uh <laughs> she grafts skin onto his body onto his arm and to his face both to cause pain and pleasure. So is this a sex scene in here? Is this a Borg? Absolutely. Yeah, I. that's what I was thinking. They, they totally do it because yeah. there's that whole, like, she makes out with Data and then it's, like, yeah. in the original series where the camera, like, moves to the candle and we know that Kirk's yeah. getting it. I feel like this was the same oh, thing. It's like they're making literally. out and the, like, camera flies away. <laughs> that's exactly why I think this is the Manipulate Data show. Like, it truly is especially with the sex scene he's counted the days since he less had sex like buddy well see that's funny because like that's who data is that's how he would respond anyway totally but then also it's like it has those implications that's what people say yeah yeah exactly so just uncomfy I i don't know i feel maybe as uncomfy or more 
as I do with the Savic and Spoxine. Yeah, it's I do not good. too. Yeah, I, I, I don't like it. I mean, it's good for data, um, <laughs> I guess. But <laughs> yes, I don't know. I don't know if he is he. My, I don't know. It just doesn't feel <laughs> yeah, it's good. Yeah. Um, I do like the fake out, and I think let's just talk about this now. But at the end of the movie, we see data, and we think he might have been actually convinced or taken over by the Borg Queen. And the first time I saw this, I was confused. I was like, yeah. I thought I knew Data. And so Same. I cannot believe that he would turn, not only on his crew, but on Picard, because yeah. his bestie. Well, Jordy's sort his of. bestie. Yeah, but... yeah, it's true. But I can't believe he would turn on his crew. He's the most loyal member of yeah. the whole ship. And I thought, man, that, that booty must be that good. <laughs> <laughs> Well, and also, I think I was confused and actually kind of convinced that he had turned only because it was like another episode of Next Generation we've seen where, like, with Soon, he has that homing beacon. He has to go home. So I thought she did some sort of manipulation with her Borg technology with his mind, you know, which, thank God, she couldn't get into his... I think that's what Picard thought, too. Neural net. Yeah, because yeah. he's like, what have you done to him? Yeah, exactly. And so they know it's only he only would be disloyal under some sort of conditions of duress or like he can't control his body or whatever. Well, so this is the Borg Queen's weakness. Her biggest weakness, I think, is a desire for real companionship. And yeah. I think she's assimilated one too many humans, you know, where she feels like she needs a partner in this. And I think that is totally what took her down. Because if she had been smart and, like, assimilated data, then she would have gotten away with it. And she would have totally assimilated all humans. But she wanted someone who would just say yes. And of his his own free will. Which is what she was looking for with Locutus um, in Best of Both Worlds. And again, what she's looking for with data. And so I kind of feel a little bad for her. You know, like, that's Mm -hmm. actually all that she wants is someone who's not just i mean yeah she wants a yes man but she doesn't just want like yes drones yes drones. yeah Yeah, exactly Mm. oh that's really good i have never thought about this ashlyn scary to have that sort of perspective on her because like i don't ever want to feel empathy for her as a villain particularly because just the thought of having no choice but to like serve her is terrifying you know the card's like imagine how i feel yeah literally <laughs> literally this is his whole struggle the whole movie and actually if you don't mind let's talk about this a little bit about the big goodbye holodeck program okay so we're really right back again this is why i'm convinced that this is like the most tng movie you know, like it feels like an episode, but it also in epic proportions of a movie. And so it has the best of both worlds. Oh, oh. ding, ding, ding. Oh, she said it. Got him. I said it. <laughs> this big goodbye scene is amazing. And we get freaking Neelix. What is his name? Ethan? It's not Ethan Peck. Oh. <laughs> Wait, is that Spock? I would, yeah, I would throw up. Ethan Phillips. Yeah, so we get Ethan Phillips as a guest star. Once again, promoting Voyager out the wazoo. (laughs) Yeah, that's crazy. (laughs) 
This scene just checks off so many tropes. It's got the act normally while we dance trope. <laughs> the dancing with someone that you're not actually interested in for like being undercover trope. <laughs> and also holodeck in general is a trope on something. So like we've already got three there with like the blonde who comes up and is like, hey dicks, where you been? I'm like, trope, <laughs> you know? And so I'm just counting yes. up in this scene. It's just really fun. And again, something that we see with the like light and dark parts of these things. And it's just so amazing because in this movie, they're able to combine them. And I think that's what does it so well. Like you have the Borg entering in to Picard's sacred space almost. I mean, I know the holodeck isn't sacred, but I think it's like a place where people can be really imaginative and creative and free from like stress and duty. And so that is really sacred, you know, it's like literally like self-care, you know, in the form of like role play, essentially. And so Picard, I think, is even more furious that like this is happening on his ship and invading his space and the things that like he used to call home and and Earth, obviously, is what he still calls home sometimes. The scene, though, that it, it just kills me because it has such good juxtaposition of we've got the funny Dixon Hill characters and then they're all being shot at and killed, you know, with these like Borg drones. And then we've got this, oh, like Picard pulling out the gun and shooting all of them and everything and just like literally being unable to stop himself and like he's ready to like beat the gun over the Borg when you know Lily's like hey I think you got him you know like I think yeah like think he, you're he good gonna like pound his face in with the gun yeah <laughs> we got a trigger warning this one with <laughs> violent oh <God>. talk <laughs> talked about the eyeball like this this movie is this a children's movie no but it is anyway <laughs> is this a family movie that's the real question but anyway I just feel like also this scene is kind of horrific too because then Picard is like digging through his insides of the ensign and I feel like the detachment you have to have and the like this is why Picard is very good at controlling his emotions when he needs to and then not good at all at it when he has to essentially which is hard it's a really tough thing for him but I think he's so good at placing things into boxes and puts them aside and he just shot and killed this ensign also like I think to Picard, a lot of times, like, death is liberation from the Borg, you know? Oh, I mean, that's the instruction that he gives to the rest of the crew is if you see someone who's been assimilated, shoot them because you'll be doing them a favor. Yeah. So that's literally his perspective. I also think that at this point, Picard as a captain has a switch, you know, Mm -hmm. like when he is on duty or, like, dealing with something that's really stressful like the Borg and, like, digging through his own ensign. Mm-hmm. I feel like he can just, he can turn on the switch and that's what makes him such a good captain is his ability to suppress his emotions in the long run is like awful mm-hmm. um, for him. But for a captain, it's something that really makes him really good. Yeah. Yeah. That's so true. For his style of captain. I mean, it's so, it's so different from someone like Michael, you know, who like really yeah. relies on her emotions, even though she's trying to suppress them. It's just different right. styles. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Obviously, I'm just thinking about how, like, the consequences of this movie are never really discussed, and I know we're jumping around a little bit, but particularly, like, I'm thinking about all of these Lower Decks characters who died in this movie and who didn't get a chance to go back to the future. So I think, like, Picard's detachment to say, oh, they were Borg, it sort of removes him from the fact of you could have liberated all of them. I know that's, like, a challenge, 
but we see Q and a lot of people in the future You're liberating like XBs. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so I think that Picard's perspective is so jaded with the Borg that it does cost a lot of lives. And I don't know, I just feel like sometimes it's sad to see all of these ensigns go even unnoticed. Like, Scotty's nephew never got the funeral. We talked about that mm-hmm. in our movie series. And all of these movies truly don't seem to ever talk about the red shirts. And I just want to shout out to them because, like, those poor people all got assimilated. And then, like, that was just it. So, yeah, I, mean, I don't like know. Lily it's, says to yeah. Ricard, he doesn't even try. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, dark. And then, of course, we're right back on the planet, and we're talking to Cochrane, and Jordy is oversharing, I think, in this oh, scene. God. Uh, I just never think it's a good idea to tell him. Every time I watch this movie, I'm like, please don't tell him. Like, he just, that's so much pressure on a dude who's clearly not... Stable. Yeah, he, he he's not, like, ready to take on the role of, like, a hero or any of that. I mean... I don't know what he's been through, but clearly this war has been horrible on everyone. And I think it informs a lot of who Cochrane is, where like also we're seeing the like never meet your heroes trope as well, because he very much is different than Riker or Jordy ever imagined, or Barkley, you know, he has that scene where he's coming up, he's all nervous to meet him. It looks like he's looking for an autograph, you know, but I feel like Cochrane, he talks about in the end of the movie that he didn't do this to unite planets. He did this so he could make some money and what was the other reason money and women oh yeah Yeah. retire on an island with a bunch of women yeah so motivation for quite a lot of people it's just interesting that i would have never imagined that to be his perspective because you just hear for the history and we hear it from star trek like cochran united the planets and it was peace and it was amazing you know and all this stuff but then you actually hear the background of it and it's like i can see more of a personality here at least like it it, this kind of makes more sense to me (laughs) oh he does have a strong personality for sure yeah (laughs) um i also just want to go back for a second because something that does make these scene jumps more bearable for me and like i'm not going to complain about them as much in this movie is that franks knows what he's doing And it's almost funny the way that they're jumping back and forth because they're having a great time on the planet, joking around. The moments like come to a head when they do finally launch the Phoenix and they're in the cockpit going and Cochran is like freaking out because he forgot his tape, but then he remembered his music. (laughs) Yeah. Um, And they, when they see the Enterprise in space and Cochran's like, what the heck is that? Riker's like, oh, they just came here to give us a send off. And he has like, they have no no idea. idea that the Borg have completely infested the Enterprise and that Picard is currently having like the fight of his life with the Borg queen. (laughs) Yes. Oh my gosh. I think that this is a brilliant perspective to take. Yeah. And like, honestly, when I see Frank's name on things and when I see Nimoy's name on things, I'm like immediate trust, you know? And so it does put me at ease. You're so right. But like, yeah, I just feel like that juxtaposition is so good and it helps me to then see the perspective. So really quick, there's a conversation that Lily and Picard have 
before they go into the holodeck where Lily talks about how she would never have enough like titanium and materials to build that big of a ship that Enterprise is. She's like, I barely had enough to make the Phoenix. I'm like, excuse me? No one ever talks about the fact that Lily built the Phoenix with Cochrane? How much building did Cochrane do? Like, I feel like she did a lot of this and she seems just very familiar and I'm like, I feel like her name should be right next to his in the history books. Yeah, and I think they're trying to make this point too Mm -hmm. that there are so many people who are left out of these types of famous moments. I mean, Mm -hmm. who's the third guy who never walked on the moon but stayed in the shuttle the whole time? Michael Collins. Yeah, exactly. But no one knows Michael Collins except Mm -hmm. our dad's like obsessed with him and made us remember. Well, I am too. But yeah, Yeah. like I'm obsessed with it because of our dad. (laughs) You're right. Yeah. Yeah, But like no one remembers Michael Collins and no one remembers Mm -hmm. Lily. Like what's her last name? I'm just thinking about Alfre Woodard being amazing. But what's the character's last name? I don't even know. Well, and it's like predominantly people of color or women or women of color who get left out of the narrative. And so I'm just like, classic. I'm annoyed, but like, I'm not surprised. Yeah. Well, and, you know, talking about the distribution of work, I think that Lily built it like physically. And then he, mm-hmm. it sounds like he did like the electronic part. Mechanics. <laughs> yeah. The mechanics. Yeah. yeah. Like the actual. Maybe. In- mm-hmm. Yeah. Engineering. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he definitely did the flying, so he knew enough about the engineering and yeah, stuff. Yeah, he was a pilot. Mm-hmm. I just think, too, it's similar to, like you're saying, who landed on the moon, but also who built the ship to go up to land on the moon? Who made it possible? A million people at NASA, you know? Like, that's the thing, is that behind every great historical moment in space, particularly, there's just so many people, you know, that are never talked about. Anyway, that's my rant about space. (laughs) Yeah, no, absolutely. It's a team effort. And that's what Star Trek is. Yeah. It's it's team. It's not just just Picard kicking the Borg Queen's butt. It's like everyone on the crew. Yeah, it's Data misfiring the missiles. Yeah. It's Worf kicking some Borg butt. (laughs) It's Riker and Jordy making sure the Phoenix gets up and going like it's everyone yeah exactly it's hawk sacrificing himself oh rip hawk in this scene oh yeah so i think my favorite scene maybe out of all the next gen movies and i know that's bold but i think it is my favorite scene is when they are on top of the enterprise and they have to manually go up there and (laughs) unlock everything yes um so then the borg will fly away because they're trying to activate this beacon on top of the ship that will tell borgs in the past like hey come here come get me go assimilate this planet and so the stakes, like, this is kind of a mini climax, this scene. Absolutely. Because they are fighting head to head. And I always say, don't bring Picard to a fist fight. But that's why Worf is there. So, yeah, <laughs> Picard's there too. I thought it was really good. This battle is so much fun. Hawk is a great side character who ends yeah. up dying in this movie. But he was on the bridge. He's the, um, the helmsman that was yeah. sitting next to Data Neil- in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Neil McDowell, he's a great actor. Yeah, He's done a lot of great things. Yeah. It's just cool to see him. I'm like, wow, I love that dude. Yeah, same. <laughs> and he had a he had a very tragic way to go out. My girlfriend went, yeah, he's not going to make it. Like, right <laughs> when she saw that he was going with Picard and Worf, I'm like, yeah, I you're not wrong. Classic red shirt. Yeah. Uh-huh. Yeah, so Worf, I love that he brings his mech left, his tiny little blade. Or not tiny, but for you know, batless standards, mm-hmm. it's a pretty small blade. 
because thank god it came to it because his suit got ripped by one of the borgs and everything but he has his knife ready and he stabs it because he knows they're gonna adapt and so i think he probably brought a lot of weapons prepared yeah, um, I mean, he was the weapons officer. Like, exactly. he's prepared. Yeah, and he knows that they're going to adapt faster than they always expect, even if they have, like, the rotating modulation or whatever. I don't know. I just think the scene is so amazing because he's so clever. He grabs the Borg, like, attachment that's attached to his arm, and it's like a tube, and he wraps it around his EVA suit, his space suit, and, like, plugs the hole. And so you just see, like, a hand floating in space next to his leg, and I'm like, that's so badass. Are you kidding me? Like, of a Borg that he killed? Like, dang, that's Worf crazy. is the coolest. <laughs> yeah. And that's, of course, when they finally get the... Oh, and here's another trope, is, like, the frantically the last latch of something you need to unlock can't... is, yep. like, stuck. <laughs> like, what? This yeah. is classic. We're gonna see this again, so... And we've already seen it in Search for Spock. <laughs> and Voyage Home. And Lower Decks. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> exactly. And then, of course, that's when we get the epic line. Assimilate this. Oh, yeah. Warp's just got those <laughs> zingers in this movie. They're so good. And another zinger is when Lily comes up to the bridge and she comes face to face with Worf and he just goes, I am a Klingon. <laughs> like, no questions asked. I just love well, it. Because she has never seen a non-human before. And so, yeah. it, but instead He's of, like, let me inform you. <laughs> yeah, he's like, don't worry, girl, I'm a Klingon. Yeah. Um, okay, I, I just think love it. let's talk about Lily a little bit more. Yeah. So, you know, talking about first impressions... I did not like her one bit when I first saw this movie because Mm. I thought that it was crazy that someone who wasn't on the crew could speak to Picard this way because one of the most important scenes in the movie happens when it's time to make a decision. Do we go on escape pods and destroy the Borg on the Enterprise or do we stay on the ship and fight them off one by one and quote unquote make them pay for what they've done? Yeah, um, and, and take back the ship and all of that. Yeah, and so the crew is unanimously, like, we have to leave the Enterprise. And Picard and Worf actually get into, like, a fight, which is so unlike Picard. It's, like, it's so unlike him. He calls mm-hmm. Worf a coward. And Worf says, if you were any other man, I would kill you where you stand. And, Oof. I mean, they're, that's his chad each, you know? like Thank you, Ashlyn. Worf and Picard have this very deep relationship, and... For them to be at odds with each other in this really critical moment just tells me how off the rails Picard is right now because this is not a logical choice he's making. I thought the inclusion of Alfre Woodard, ugh, I'm sorry, I'll just keep saying Lily. I just love her so much. Yeah, <laughs> no, I agree. She's in Luke Cage is where I really uh, know her from and she is freaking amazing. She's like, I mean, Mike Coulter's amazing as Luke Cage, but like, Alfre Woodard stole that show. Yeah, seriously. I yeah. dream about her. Like she's, she's so she just scary snatched and, it away yeah. from everyone. She's yeah. like, this is my show, actually. Yeah. yeah. But the first time I saw this, I thought it was really off-putting that she was the only one brave enough, not even brave enough, but the only one like willing to stand up to Picard in this situation instead of Worf, you know? Or yeah. I, I do think, though... If Riker had been on the ship, he might have been the one to convince Picard that they had to evacuate Mm -hmm. because I think generally that is Riker's role. He has this different friendship and relationship with Picard that they can 
turn off the professionalism for a second and have like yeah, a candid discussion. Um, Definitely. But because Riker's not there, who else besides, so we have Worf, who they just had a fight with. Crusher yeah. is like... She's very convincing to me, but, all, but she can't get through to Picard either. And she's yeah. just shocked, mostly. She's like, I can't believe you're acting this way. Yeah, exactly. No, I mean, Troy's not there to like have a one-on-one. I just didn't like it the first time I saw it, that yeah. it was Lily who's the one convincing him. But this time around, and most of the times, like most of the recently when I see this movie, I'm just so admired by Lily because she knows what the answer is. And she's like, you are stupid. Like, you are going to kill all of us because Mm -hmm. of your revenge. And I think Mm -hmm. her bringing up Moby Dick is really what did it because (laughs) Picard is so obsessed. I mean, he's like literally get someone who could quote classic literature at me. Like, that's his like goal. Yeah, yeah. And he's... Yeah, that's what wakes him up to reality. He's like, oh my god, I am Captain Ahab. (laughs) I need to look in the mirror right now. (laughs) Yeah, I think that's so true. And something about Lily I think that is really important to remember is that she's also not in the Starfleet system. She's not in any sort of military uh, format or any sort of chain of command. And she's coming off of this devastating war. And so she has a very candid perspective. She does not like the kind of person who takes time to say what they mean. Like she is just completely ready to put Picard in his place essentially and say, this is not okay. Like you need to think about your crew and not your lust for revenge and all of this stuff. And oh, I just, I think that Lily is such an important character here because without her, I don't know if anyone could have stopped Picard. And that's like sort of a scary thought that no one could have brought him from the edge. I think you're right, Riker would have maybe, but like you can't beam out. You've got Mm -hmm. Borg everywhere. So yeah, such an integral role in this film. And yeah, I just like to think about her perspective coming off of this war because you're just, I feel like at that point you're like, I'm so done. I I can't deal with people who are going to try to risk more lives when we've lost so much already. She really reminds me of Kira, actually, in mm-hmm. DS9, yes. because Kira is also a character who has been through war and has seen a lot of hard times and mm-hmm. it is not afraid to call people out <laughs> when they need to oh, be not. told yeah. what's what. And yeah, yeah, I love Lily. I have done a whole 180 on her because yeah. she is one of my favorite I think she is my favorite, quote unquote, side lady from yeah, all these from the Star movies. Trek movies. Oh, absolutely. You know, whale lady. She can get it in a different way. Like. <laughs> I mean, Carol Marcus is a close second, though. Oh, I love Carol Marcus. And I love Savick, too. Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. But Lily is boss. Lily Incredible. is awesome, too. Yeah, next level. And so, Rihanna, did you feel any kind of romance between them? I felt it more between Cochrane and Lily. I feel like they, at least at the end, they were holding hands before the Vulcans came and they seemed like they were close in the beginning, but we just don't get a lot of time with them together since they're both on different sides. And he doesn't seem super concerned about her when she's just like gone. And so I don't know. I mean, I wouldn't want to fall in love with someone like Zephyr Cochran, but like they have a very, I think, close relationship. Well, the way that Lily is interacting with Picard so okay what i've been trying to do for this whole podcast ever since you asked me like who is this movie really about Mm -hmm. i've been trying to think that 
there's some kind of parallel going on between Cochrane and Picard. Mm-hmm. And the way that Lily is talking to Picard, it makes me think that she's had these types of discussions with Cochrane too. Cochrane doesn't believe in himself. He is brilliant, but selfish and, and jaded. jaded. Yeah. yeah. And I think Picard is acting this way in this movie because of Absolutely. his situation with the Borg. And so she is like, apt to deal with these white men who like can't <laughs> deal with their feelings um i guess yeah um and Fair. So that's such a good point i i wasn't about the romance i wasn't sure because they have that dancing scene and i think they were trying to have some kind of romance like the writers were you know but i don't know if it was convincing yeah um, i was not convinced but I could see where you're coming from, for sure. Well, mom, even, after the movie mm-hmm. ended, she was like, Picard still can get the girl. and Yeah, and she <laughs> was like, oh, I wish you could have come with us to the to the 23rd century. To or the future, 20- yeah. Yeah, the future. Um, I, yeah, I don't know. They didn't have enough time together to develop a relationship. Yeah. I feel like maybe it would have happened. I don't know. Because mm-hmm. I feel like it's also important to have male and female relationships that are just like keeping each other accountable and like friendship same yeah so yeah and that is quite frankly a lot of picard's relationships with women yeah oh absolutely i have a question about warp drive okay (laughs) i don't know if you can answer you're pretty good with the inner workings (laughs) of ships let me get out my schematics real quick (laughs) yeah i I, get out your trip tucker sprinkles (laughs) because i i need them (laughs) What you now? remember that lower decks quote? <laughs> yes. Anyway, so good. So actually, Brianna asked me this question, and I had no answer because I don't know the answer. Warp doesn't need dilithium to run off of. Yes, it does. Okay, then how? How did so, the, he had plasma? He put the plasma drive online, and then what? They never explained it. Oh, you mean with Cochrane? With Cochrane. <laughs> yeah I, I that's how i feel i don't know i don't think they said dilithium once in this i was movie. listening really carefully because she asked me that and i was like does plasma run the warp because like no plasma well i always know they vet plasma but that's about it so what jordy is talking about with cochran because jordy has to draw out the design mm-hmm. of the warp drive and so maybe Cochrane configured all the parts together that makes it able like to take the strain of going at warp I don't know what is powering yeah that um <laughs> I don't either <laughs> because I kind of got the sense that dilithium crystals were not on earth and we got them from other planets yeah same absolutely I don't know for sure I mean I don't, dilithium crystals are not real so <laughs> 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 like on earth right now so yeah. I feel like maybe like the Vulcans gave it to them or like that's the, the sustainable way of going to warp. Yeah, maybe. Maybe the plasma is like not eco-friendly. This is a really <laughs> good question though. Yeah. So I don't know if anyone knows or has read some manual or has Please read a novel. Us. Yes. Tweet us, DM us, whatever. We're on everywhere, social media. So <laughs> come find us. So we get this pretty epic ending. We talked a little bit about it, but... I just think it is epic how Data is, like, so dramatic because this is my man. I'm always just like, oh, Data, he had to really ham it up. You know, he's, like, really doing some good acting. He's like, no, I'm going to destroy Cochrane's ship. And he's, like, touching those buttons really fast. And he's, like, getting ready. And then he just, like, misses 
I think it's just so cheeky. Like, what a way for Data to, like, really hold to the last minute, hit the cards to his chest. Oh, absolutely. And it's really convincing. I mean, like we talked about earlier, I did, I, I couldn't believe Data had turned sides. Just couldn't yeah. believe it. And I think he's doing all of this to buy them time. Yes. And the tension when you see those torpedoes going towards the ship, going towards the Phoenix, is so tight. Palpable. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. You're like, oh, oh my God, like Data's going to be the one to change the future. I'm like, what? Yeah. Oh, horrifying. That yeah. was close. Yeah. So I just, I love it. I love this twist. They really got me. <laughs> yeah. The drama of the moment was so important. And, yeah, I love the scene where Picard's dangling off that pipe thing, and Data, of course, is sacrificing himself yet again. Classic. And then he has a burnt-off face where his grafted skin was after Picard does the Terminator yeah. destroy the Borg thing. Oh, my God. And I'm like, oh, poor honey. He just does not look good. Data looks um, awful. <laughs> well, and, like, literally, what's, what's the gas clears and everything, and Picard comes down? He is so focused still on killing the Borg Queen that he doesn't even notice that Data's lying there. Just like, are you kidding me? Data had to be like, sir. And then he turns around. He's like, Data. And I'm like, you didn't notice? Like, you that, that's not the first thing you looked for. But I guess he wanted to eliminate the threat first. So I think it shows that his progress and his hatred of the Borg is still there. And it's still over-empowering. Like, you can't just solve all of your trauma in one conversation with Lily. As much as we want that to be true, we're going to see it in Picard. We're going to see that Picard still deeply struggles with his time on with the Borg and everything. And this is just exacerbating it, you know? Yeah. So Well, and I think he's realizing that even though he got revenge, he doesn't feel better. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which we don't focus on at all. I mean, this nope. movie, like, just ends. <laughs> ends <yeah. laughs> uh, I mean, we get to see the Vulcans and that's it. Yeah. Okay. That's cool. And uh-huh. I that also is something I remember from the first time I saw this. Uh, just, yes. like... It feels really good to see the Vulcans because we've spent this whole movie basically back in time mm-hmm. and we haven't had any fun interactions with other species. I've been missing the 24th century and so to see the Vulcans and also, the, you know, the, I mean, obviously there's no Vulcans on TNG and so it's really special whenever we get to see one. That's how I always feel in all the shows. Like whenever there's Vulcans on DS9, I'm like, oh yeah, you like get those arms, you same. crazy Vulcan lady. <laughs> like, <laughs> I feel the exact same way. Like, I just get so excited about Vulcan and culture in general. And yet, okay, I have another Brianna question. Okay. She was just firing them off. Yeah. And I really love having new Star Trek fans, like, watching this stuff with me because it challenges me to also, like, test my trivia or mm-hmm. test just, like, I don't know, broaden my horizons. She asked, like, what if the Vulcans hadn't been the ones to show up? What if the Romulans were patrolling the sector? What if the Klingons were you know like there's so many different species it could have been and so of course we're very lucky that the Vulcans were the ones patrolling the sector because I don't know the Romulans would have been like "Ooh, okay let's go let's get into some trade you know and it could be a planet to take over or something yeah exactly so or Klingons yeah yeah I don't know what do you think I don't know I think that it all comes down to luck that the Vulcans I believe are supposed to be the closest species to us so it's very lucky that they were the ones that were able to usher us into this new era. Mm-hmm. But yeah, because it, it might have gotten messy. Or like the Andorians, you know, right. that would have been fun. We would have had wild. like Arthur's father would have been um, Archer an Andorian. Been like, yeah. <laughs> Ashlyn, I love that. That's hilarious. 
Uh, the Shran would have been a human. It would have been this weird, like, <laughs> alternate universe. <laughs> okay, I want to see that now. <laughs> anyway, yeah. Yeah, so I just, I love it because then they're like, let's take a discreet exit. Immediately beams out in front of everyone. Oh, jeez. <laughs> discreet my, you know what. That's oh, just so God. funny to me. I know, me too. Like, come on, guys. But they know they're doing it. Like, this this is the thing I love, and I've said it a lot, but Frakes just always has this wink, like, with his directing style. Yeah. Where everyone's in on the joke, including the characters. It's like this subtle way of breaking the fourth wall, and I love totally. it. Totally. Well, and talk about wink to Star Trek. They didn't even wink. They just completely blinked. When, <laughs> or what's the opposite? Of, kept their eyes open? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> when they had literally had Zephyr Cochran say, on some kind of Star Trek. Oh, God, yeah. Take a drink. It's just required. If anyone says yeah. Star Trek, you have to find the <laughs> Whatever cup drink. you're holding. Yeah. yeah, no matter what's in I it. I have some uh, chai tea this morning. So oh, yeah, I have some coffee. Take, yeah. take a drink. <laughs> yeah, but so anyway, that just cracks me up. I'm like, they really... I think that's the first and only time they'll ever say Star Trek on Star Trek. Oh, my God, yeah. But as Ashlyn's favorite phrase goes... Star Trek plus Star Trek equals Star Trek. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> I don't know if it's your favorite phrase, but you use it a lot. I do use it a lot. Wow. Yeah, this ending is so abrupt. We've talked, you know, in our time travel series that there's no mention. No going back. <laughs> about, like, how they go back. Did they slingshot around the sun? Oh, we, we don't know. Did they sense the time anomaly was still there? Oh, we, we don't know. <laughs> no clue. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, it doesn't matter because I still had a wonderful time watching this movie. And it was so good that I'm only thinking about these small details when... I am having to review it in for something like this, you know? Oh, I absolutely agree. Yeah, when I'm just watching it for fun, I'm not bothered by any of these things. And it is really just such a fantastic movie. And so, Rihanna, I'm wondering, how does this shake up your order of the movies? Okay, so we have seen eight of them now? Yes. Okay, so in last place, in eighth place is Generations. In seventh place is The Motion Picture. In sixth place is Final Frontier. Fifth is Undiscovered Country. Four is The Search for Spock. Three is The Voyage Home. Two is First Contact. And one is The Wrath of Khan. Wow. So Voyage Home got knocked a third. It got knocked down. How about you, Ash? Um, okay, so in eighth, I have The Motion Picture. In seventh, I have Generations. Sixth is Final Frontier. Fifth is Undiscovered Country. Fourth is Search for Spock. Third is First Contact. Second is Voyage Home. And first is Wrath of Khan. Okay. We're starting to switch a little. So the only reason that First Contact isn't higher, because I think, like... It is the best movie, maybe. I mm-hmm. think it might be better than Wrath of Khan, like, from a from like a nuts and bolts perspective, you know? Oh, I wouldn't say all that, but I like your idea. But, I like your perspective. Well, the thing is, like, I I would just die for Wrath of Khan and yeah, Voyage same. Home. Uh-huh. I have so much nostalgia yeah. and so much, like, childhood love from mm-hmm. those movies that First Contact can't possibly compete with that biases. Yeah. <laughs> That's how I felt with Khan, and I always feel with Khan. Like, 
anything can ever top it. I don't yeah. feel like. Oh, but. exactly. Wow, Rihanna, this has been so much fun. What a blast. I feel really, really grateful that we get to just talk about these wonderful movies and that we still have like four more, five? It's amazing. It's amazing. (laughs) Yeah. We have five more to do. So we're just chugging along and we're having a wonderful time. And I'm so excited to watch Insurrection with you next week, Ashlyn. I am very excited to watch Insurrection. And also for so many reasons, because I'm going to be seeing you next week. And so I think we can actually record this next episode together. Yeah, I think we'll be able to. Uh, That's so exciting. Oh Oh my gosh. I'm so excited. Yeah, Um, so everyone get ready for that. It's going to be an extra fun one. Yeah, thank you for chilling with us especially through any weird beeping you heard or the sound of leaves being removed from my house Um, and also for sticking with us through the end of 2021 in these last couple weeks where we're just going to let the movie series write us out into 2022 but Rihanna I'm really curious after the movie series is over what series are we going to cover next okay Our next series is going to be (laughs) Feminism. O-M-F-G. We are talking about the best and most amazing and just incredible women and female identifying characters on Star Trek. Every single series, including the movies, we'll be back talking about all the ladies all the ladies (laughs) so basically for nine episodes we're gonna become women at warp (laughs) yes (laughs) oh i can't wait i'm so excited this is a series that has been on my mind since we started this podcast i was like can it be second and i'm like no 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 we gotta wait to talk about these amazing women we gotta build more groundwork first around the shows and then we just get to talk about feminism and i'm really excited so Thank you all for listening so much. We just appreciate you and your time spending like three hours a week <laughs> listening to us talk about Star Trek. I know. So when we were on Strange New Pod, uh, Julian was saying as he was introducing us, like, it's so cool because so many podcasts have um, like time limits and you guys just don't care. <laughs> I was like, you're not wrong. Like, like, we literally will let it be as long as it needs to be. So thanks for letting us talk all this time into your ears. And we hope that you will join us next week for Star Trek Insurrection. Thank you for listening to the Duras Sisters podcast. Please join us next week for the ninth episode of our movie series when we watch Star Trek Insurrection. Please follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Also take a moment to check out our content on Tumblr and TikTok. If you like what you've heard today, please leave us a review on whatever platform you listen. By donating any amount per month, you can become a monthly patron and unlock our exclusive reviews of Lower Decks, the animated series, and Star Trek trivia. You can find all of this and more at patreon.com slash the Dura Sisters podcast. If you would like to contact us for any reason, please do so at the Dura Sisters podcast at gmail.com. So far, we have covered these podcast series, pilot episodes, family, love and affection, time travel, and villains. 
If you haven't heard a particular series, please go back and listen to any of these awesome episodes. Social Media and Marketing is by Rihanna Hurd and Ashlyn Gelman. Editing is done by Ashlyn Gelman and Rihanna Hurd. Our intro and outro were written by Jerry Goldsmith. There's two trucks. There's two of them. <laughs> Why do they have to be? Why can't I'm they just get their job done? So annoyed. <laughs> um why doesn't Troy know what tequila is? Uh because in the hall? I guess maybe she maybe I keep thinking they're getting closer to leaving. Oh, but all the leaves are gone. That's nice. Oh, all the leaves are gone. <laughs> the leaves are gone. The sky is blue. Gray. <laughs>